Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Hey, welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Payrollo. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And today, episode 14, we are going to talk about the fake work boss. Uh, <laughs> what is fake work? Why is it happening now? And what about the people who are exploiting this? So um, this episode was inspired by an article in the Business Insider called mm-hmm. The Reality of Big Tech's Fake Work Problem by Hugh Langley and Grace Kay. And this fake work is really a catch-all term. And the idea is that it, it started out as a phrase for people who were showing up at work and not actually doing much work. So here's the quote. Fake work, as consultants Brent Peterson and Galen Nielsen define it in their 2009 book of the same name, is effort under the illusion of value. The crimes they wrote include pointless meetings, reports, and presentations. In the tech industry specifically, the term fake work is used to conjure up an image of lazy engineers resting and vesting. Long-tenured, high-paid employees doing very little work while waiting, waiting on a lucrative payday from their company stock. And this narrative is compelling because, of course, that person is a shirker. We don't like shirkers. We learn that in elementary school or middle school or when we ever do our first group project, Mm -hmm. that these shirkers who let everybody else do the work are as reprehensible as the snitches. That is if they realize they're shirkers. Yes. (laughs) Ignorance of the law is no excuse, they say. But in this instance... There's some well-meaning people who never figure out that they are just dross, right? Yeah, and I think that, and the point that they're making is that this blame the worker, that it's individual workers and engineers that are deciding to dial it in to not mm-hmm. actually work. That's not actually what's happening. What's mm-hmm. going on is that these middle managers and these tech companies or even upper managers are doing what they call empire building. Yeah. They are hiring as many people as possible because that inflates their standing, right? The status it, it, infl- is- it inflates their standing and protects them from the inevitable reorg when it happens, right? Yes. Better to have a bunch of pawns than to be a pawn. Exactly. And so what, what this article is doing a good job of doing is to, to refocus on what is the corporate environment mm-hmm. that allows this to be perpetuated. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how are these middle managers getting away with it? And they talk to people at Google and Meta and Salesforce, obviously not using their names, and talk about their different experiences. And they talk to this one guy uh, who was hired making three hundred thousand dollars a year. Thank you. Went in and, and went to do work, but was given no work to do. Right? And there's a number of people that say that their assignments coming from their managers are either non-existent or made made up work. One guy did a project thinking, great, I've got something to do, and found out that four other people on in his same team had been given the exact same assignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have had, strangely enough, three such like jobs 
Um, but it's a little weirder because I'm a soft science guy. So it's, it, uh, you know, there are actual deliverables. Uh, I just can't say, oh, I'm working on some, you know, uh, electrical schematic plan. Uh, and one, it was more bait and switch. The company had a, a corporate publication, which I had been pulled in to be editor in chief of. And that's pretty much all we talked about and some other stuff. Um, and, you know, this is Nikon. It's a big company, reputable company. So I get there. And it took me about three weeks in total of like, okay, this is where we need to start. Here's the editorial schedule. And they said, yeah, could you give me a proposal about how much, what the spend will be on that? And I come up with that. It took about three weeks of them asking me for snipe hunty things and me providing the answers before I realized there's no magazine. There's no magazine. There's no, it was the other things they had hired me for. And you know what? Though it was a bait and switch, I loved the job and I stayed there three weeks, but I stopped pushing for this fake magazine thing that never was any, and there was no intention of having me actually really do it. And, I, I, you know, uh, I've always been the pawn in that instance. S somebody else's buffer. I have not had the luxury of being in a position where I could hire buffers. Uh, you know, I did discover early on that there are people who work the system that way. That was an electric power research institute. And this guy, they he lasted there like 12 years. He had successfully built enough buffers. I never saw him do anything and once snatched a folder out of his hand to see what he was doing because he was rushing off to a meeting and it was a flyer that he was making copies of for the company volleyball game. <laughs> and I just looked at it quietly and respectfully, gave him the folder back, said, have a nice day, John. I realized he was a master at this game. I, well, I, was, I, I learned nothing, you know. Did you leave the Nikon, game, the Nikon job after three weeks? Uh, no, I stayed. I stayed for three years because I promised the boss who had hired me and baited and switched me that I would stay for three years. And I figured, well, he lied to me, but my word is my bond. And I stayed, said I'll stay for three years. And I stayed for three years and then went to Apple. Wow. So. Well, and see, this is what they're suggesting is that this, it is about these bosses who are using mm -hmm. people, not just as buffers so that they don't get fired, but to build their own private empires. Right? And and a lot of times the deliverables that these these managers have their staff working on are what they call vanity projects. Mm -hmm. So it's a super convoluted strategy deck. Deck is just another word for presentation. It's you know some long term look at something that's never going to actually happen. And mm -hmm. they they have their team members working on these very you know I'm sure it has beautiful animation and motion graphics and all the things. And it gets the executives excited, but nothing's actually happening. And I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, we've talked before about the hubris of some of these leaders of tech companies. And what I'm finding interesting is that they, they miss out on some of the just basic business fundamentals. Like there's very few kind of old school businesses that would not have some, you know, some process in place to make sure that people who are working for the company are delivering against a specific set of deliverables, services, like they have a plan, like we need you to make a hundred widgets so that we can make, you know, 50 tires or whatever. There's no, there's no accountability. There's no metrics. It's in this amorphous kind of, we're just brilliant. And we're going to just think about cool things and make money off of it. Well, you know, to, de to defend the Valley for a little bit, I'm shocked that I'm, that I'm in this position, you know, uh, everybody who was worked at next and who worked in the Newton was very disappointed when they killed the Newton. It's like, ah, I wasted my time. I spent all my time in Newton. 
Well, now we all carry Newtons because it's fundamentally the iPhone, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's what the that's what the, the Newton was. So there's this this legacy myth making in the valley that it, it doesn't make any sense to you now, but like the you know the great fairy tale where where the the wise old woman gives you why is she give me what is this bee gonna do? And then later in the story, it becomes apparent that that's really the thing that you needed. I think that that takes hold in the valley way more than it should. But there's some positions in which it's pure graft from top to bottom. People are building buffers. And more importantly, there's a whole chain of command of people who sign off on this stuff. And there's a certain point at which they have to figure, hmm, if somebody realizes that this is a nothing burger, we're all going to get in trouble. But maybe if I just pass that ball on up. (laughs) And I think that's what's happening right now, right, is that the, the VCs, the leaders are saying, you know, Zuckerberg is like, come out with this tough, like, we're not going to have managers managing managers, and you need to be an individual contributor, and you need to be doing stuff. And there's all this stern talk, which is essentially blaming the workers, and not taking any ownership for who, who has created the corporate culture that allows for this to happen. Because, you know, yes, there may be valuable failures, Right. But presumably people were actually building a Newton. There was an expectation they would be executing something, whether it worked or not. There was a product. These people are not even developing products. They're not even developing a strategy to have a plan to get to a product. They're just going to meetings and, and, you know, having that sort of energy. And the challenge is is that the people who do want to get work done, Mm -hmm recognize, and they talk about this in the article, is that with all of these layers, right? So what one person talks about coming in at an organization and within two months, there were four layers between that them and the person who hired them, right? Yeah, so wow. four layers in two months were, were, were brought in. Yeah. And then anything, even a simple thing, it's going to take 40 stakeholders to agree and everybody's doing their political yeah. infighting. Yeah. yeah. And that's just, that's just dumb. Right. It seems to me it's got to be really antithetical to the, I mean, to business. It seems bad business, right? It's not just bad management of bad bosses. This is bad business. Who falls for this stuff and why? Well, I, I'll tell you an example from my, because um, I've never been in a circumstance where somebody's made me do fake work. Um, mm-hmm. It's usually they make me do more work and somebody else's work. Um, yeah. But I was I was in a circumstance where I was in executive management and there was um, an executive creative director. And I think it's the same wooly thing of like the creativity, whether it's in building a you know consumer device or you know tech products or it's it's in actual creativity making a creative product. But this guy said that in order to fully um, you know like maximize his potential and show what the company could do, he needed to make a short film, and the company, the organization, needed to pay for it. Well, I of course was the money manager person. And I'm like, so what do you think? He's like, I'm like, how is this going to benefit the larger company? He's like, well, we can use it as we can use it as marketing. And I was like, okay, so you're going to come up with a short film that's so good that we can use it as marketing. And I'm like, okay, like he had done a music video, which got us a little attention. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, Here's how much money you have to spend. He's like, well, I'm going to I'm going to need more than that because this, that, the next thing. And I was like, well, tell me, like, let me see the script. And he wouldn't give me he wouldn't give me any more information. So I finally found out that he wanted to do a a music, I mean, a, um, a short film, a documentary about an artist. And I Googled the artist and I thought, oh, obviously I've got the name wrong because this is, well, pornography's in the eye of the beholder. This is a picture of a naked 
drawing of a woman who didn't look like any actual real woman I've ever seen, very idealized with um, some milky white substance dripping from her mouth. (laughs) The invitation to this event that he wanted to fly to another country to film was a naked woman with her legs open, no clothes on, and the entrance to the event was guess. And so I looked at this and I was like, okay, so we're not actually going to do a film about an artist that has an invitation that has a woman's vulva as the entrance to the event. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, if the idea is that we're going to do this to get more clients, many of our clients are women. I can't imagine a woman who's going to be like, that's a company that I want to do business with. Yeah, yeah. And he was, I mean, he fought tooth and nail arguing to me about how this was an expression of creativity and the market would rise to understand the greatness of the creativity and our brain. But it went on. And the funny thing was, is that the owner of the company actually supported him. Wow. And I had to really, I mean, I had to, you know, throw down, (laughs) which I can do well. But I think that's that's the kind of example that I think that's one of the reasons it's happening. People talk <laughs> like about the, creativity. It's like the Mel Brooks with the producers, springtime for Hitler in Germany. Sure, it's a great idea. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, I, I've actually worked at, you know, I've worked for Larry Flint for a couple of years and, and even that workplace had standards. Yeah, <laughs> no. They, I mean, you before you worked there, they had to explain to you. They sat you down. They took you to a room and explained to you. And I didn't work on their porn titles. I did their men's fashion magazine called Code because uh, they do non-porn titles. But they said, look, in the course of your day here, you might see some things that you won't see in a normal workplace. It's pre-identified. You have to agree. You sign on to it. This guy's a nut. What happened to the film? Did you give him the money for it or no. not? No, Good. it didn't, it didn't Good. get me. It didn't yeah. get me. Um, yeah. But I got fired soon after that. Did they, after they fired you, did they go ahead and make this movie? No. no. Oh, thank you. I mean, not that I, not that I know of, you know, and this was yeah. a number of yeah. years ago. But I think, I think the point is, is recognizing that people can get so caught up in their myth about their creativity, whether it's in terms yeah. of tech or whether it's in, that they can give the people that work for them, a leeway that doesn't always benefit them. Right. And, and I think that the, the challenge that I was in was that I was the kind of hard news business person and it didn't, I mean, I didn't end up staying at that job. Right. And I think it's very difficult for, because I do believe that there are managers at these tech companies who really do want to do work. Right. And there may be not a lot of them, but I believe that there are managers who are saying to their employees, I want to help you have a development plan. I want you right, to right. see a career at this organization. I want to do something. The challenge is that those managers, if they're not playing the game, they're not going to get the kind of political capital yep. that they need yep. to be able to help the people on on their team. Yep. You know, the first the first job I had that was like that was for the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation. And I was in the Queens Bureau. I was, uh, 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 I lied about my age to get the job. I was in my last year of high school and said that I was a couple of years older. So it was a nice office job out in Queens. And it took me about four days to realize that my job was to cover for my boss who was doing nothing. Mm-hmm. 
I would call him and say, hey, what, what, what do we do? He goes, well, file this and you file that. It would take me about half an hour. I go, I got seven and a half hours. He, well, if Simonian calls, you let me know. Okay. After the fourth day, I was like, I'm going to lose my mind here. And I decided to use what I had on hand and created the Birth of Tragedy magazine. That's how I published my first magazine because I couldn't stand doing nothing all day. So I guess technically if I was in Silicon Valley, the company would then have a claim to own that publication that I produced during work time. But given that it was a New York City city job, it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And keep in mind, Simonian, the boss, he only called for me to check on my boss when somebody was checking on him. It was city graft of the most extreme variety. And I was sure a small man on the totem pole, not getting paid too much, but it was it was phenomenal. It, and I mean, I knew that nothing was happening, but I just couldn't go for the okie doke. I had to do something to keep my mind engaged. So I was working. I just wasn't working for the betterment of the New York City Department of Parks because clearly they did not care. Well, and that's what I, I believe is that this most people, I think, want to work. And yep. particularly people who have gotten to the place where they have the technical skills that are in demand at these companies, right. they're not hired. This is not like entry level data entry receptionists. These are, yeah. you know, technical engineers, people with real advanced skills, and they want to use those skills and they want to use those skills to build something that's going to show up in the world. And, right. you know, one of the, one of the people was talking about like, he's like, I didn't have any assignments. So I just went surfing, but I like, <laughs> there was a woman who was like, was working for, I think it was Google. They were giving her nothing to do. So she got a job also at Microsoft during the pandemic at the same time, working for both companies, which I was like, you know, I wouldn't advise it. I wouldn't do it. But there was a moment where I was like, no, she probably gave gave Google a chance and then figured, you know what? You know what? (laughs) Yeah, this is just this is just I'll cash your checks as long as you want to send them. Exactly. So if you're in this circumstance, right? So if you are at a company where you don't have enough work or you're concerned mm-hmm. that you're being given fake work, I think it's really tough. I think there's not a lot that you can do. If you are fortunate enough to have one of those managers who is a good actor, who isn't participating in this, who wants to support your career, I think you can go to your go to your boss and say, hey, can you give me some protection here? Can you, you know, if you're putting me on a project, can you let me know Mm-hmm. If it has a chance of seeing the light of day, can you give me a sense of who the stakeholders are? Can you maybe see if your boss can clue you into the politics or the things that are happening behind the scenes on any projects that you're taking on? Because if you have a choice between a project that's never going to see in the light of day and a project that is actually going to get executed, if you have a choice, you're going to want to choose the one that's going to actually yeah, right. be right, work right, that right. you can show. Right. The challenge is that there really, I don't think there's much that you can do. And most of the people that they interviewed for this article ended up leaving yeah. the company where they were yeah. working to go to a place where they could have work to do that was constructive and interesting and engaging to them, which I feel yeah. like is kind of like weak advice. But can you think of anything else to say to somebody if they're in this circumstance of having nothing no. to do? No, I mean, it's it's a failing of the company, you know, it's like uh, going on a blind date and then your friend says, uh, you, do you know the, the guy that you're going on the date with? You know, he's got syphilis. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, at that point, buyer beware. Uh, yeah, I, I think leave, I think leaving is, is pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> How did that example get to be the one? That I don't know. I was, my, <laughs> my, my mind works, you know. I was actually realized I do have a fire me uh, from the rumor mill, but um, that 
that's neither here nor there. We'll get to that. Okay. Well, the fire me that I had that I was very excited about talking about today, since usually it's Eugene that has the fire me, is our friend Elon Musk has decided that the company is now called X and the little bird is no longer. Yeah. So It's, it's, it's nuts. Well, and I think what's interesting is I was looking at it from the, you know, thinking of it as a marketer and somebody that's been in advertising for a long time. And there was an article that I just wanted to reference really quickly. It's in uh, the drum, which is an ad trade. Um, and it's called An Appalling Instinct for Branding. Designers react to Twitter's X rebrand by a woman named Amy Houston. And I think what is useful is to start with what was good about Twitter. Right? So this is from Neil Cooper, who's the head of design at Wolf Olins, which is a really famous design firm, an instantly recognizable color palette, a globally known logo and brand verbs such as tweeting have worked their way into the zeitgeist of popular culture. All were destroyed overnight. And so I think, you know, for people that aren't necessarily familiar with branding, what Twitter had was an anomaly and it was worth a huge amount of money, like possibly one of their most significant assets was this brand and its ubiquity. And the idea that he would eradicate that overnight, especially for an ex, is kind of shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, he, he hasn't made very many good decisions. I know he's got his fan fanboys out there, usually typically boys, fanboys out there pulling for him, but this is, this is a fool's errand. This is, I mean, you don't have to be a, a, a <laughs> you don't have to be a business genius to know that this is not no no sorry good good for you billionaire richest man in the world good for you it's a bad decision nonetheless well and here's what this guy Bruce da- Daisley he used to be the uh, vice president of EMEA for Twitter mm-hmm. quote from start to finish Musk has been intent on burning down any evidence that someone was there before him. Because it serves to remind people that someone other than him has helped form his product. It speaks to a fragile ego and an appalling instinct for branding. Do you think news outlets are going to say on X, someone sent an X? No, that, I mean, then, you know, he goes on to say what they're going to say is on social media, someone posted. They're not going to use the word tweet anymore. They're just going to say posted. And that's going to be the end of that. They're not going to switch to the language that you want somebody else to use listen it's benign it's relatively benign but i got people who work there and they're still not going for meta <laughs> they're still calling it facebook you change whatever you want to call it but it was okay meta yeah sure sure okay but but imagine if they had changed the name of facebook to meta Right. And that's what that's what I mean. He's always wanted. uh, Musk has always wanted to do X. He wants to have the X app be, you know, like your one stop shop for everything in the world. He owns presumably X dot com. He named his kid X and then insert formula after he's sort of obsessed with X. And like some of these branding experts talked about in this drum article is you don't necessarily want to use X as a search you don't yep. want to, you know, yep. X means negative things. It means yep. like, you know, X rated material. It's, it has a lot of really negative associations. And for designers, it's not attractive. It's two yep. lines intersecting harshly, but it's, it, it really, I thought what was interesting to me about this from, you know, the, the fire me and one of the many reasons that Musk should be fired is that it, 
it is all about his ego. Yeah. 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 And even even a noted professional egomaniac like like Steve Jobs also realized at a certain point that he was in service of something that people wanted. <laughs> it wasn't like I'm going to create this thing that nobody wants and just through the sheer force of will and the the, 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 the jobs distortion field, the, the reality distortion field, I got to make people like this. No, 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 no. He was taking things that we already used and just improved on them, which was fundamentally pretty useful. Changing Twitter to X is not useful to anybody outside of the fragile, aforementioned fragile ego. So, well, and I think they've lost a tremendous amount of revenue from yeah. advertisers who are running away, which is yeah. why he brought in Linda Yaccarino as his CEO, a job that I predicted would be challenging. There's no way he talked to her about this. Right? And she is she Correct. is dutifully talking about X's in, you know, whatever formats and acknowledging that. But that's just such a dumb decision that the idea that you've got this really respected person in marketing and sales who knows the advertising community, who's been brought in presumably to recover some of the dollars that are like mm. rushing out from the bottom of the boat that he has staved in, stove mm. in. Um, there's no way she said this was a good idea. Yeah. Right? There's no way she said correct. this was a good idea now. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and this notion of like, one of the things the article mentions is like, well, Zuckerberg did the same thing with Meta and he didn't ask anybody about it. At least, you know, at least Musk put it out on Twitter and he allowed people to, or X and he allowed, <laughs> he allowed people to like come up with some designs. That's that. That's not how you run a business. No, no, it's not how you run it. And also I'm a music person. So the idea that I used to be a huge fan of the band X. And since then I go, oh, I really like to hear some X now. Let me go to Spotify, Bandcamp. Let me find some social media where I could dial Apple Music and you type in X and you really have to go X. Nothing comes up. A band called X. A band called X from LA. It's just, it's just a terrible, it's a terrible choice that by, by you know, in terms of branding, all yeah. of top to bottom. But so my thing that came to me, and this is just in the rumor mill, in the rumor mill, Remember I said that there was going to be layoffs on the 21st at Google, secret, nobody knew. Still don't know how many people were laid off on the 21st, though that was supposed to be something that happened in a significant way. But somebody, somebody else said, have you been paying attention to the headlines? And I said, no, do you know what's happening? And then I start paying attention and they go, Sundar, the CEO of Google, the, the, the scuttlebutt in the valley is, that they are working on a plan to exit him out of the company. Uh, and I was like, ah, you just saying that, you malcontents. I pick up the newspaper on Friday and look who's taking a bigger role at day-to-day -day operations at Google again, Sergey Brin. And then I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, dude, this is on borrowed time. And I go, so what's the problem with Sundar? Is he, um, he is just... The word that was used was feckless, right? <laughs> and he said he was maybe the right guy to bring in when they were having all those, you know, kind of social problem issues where people were fighting in the forums and they were fighting and they were picketing for some groups. And he goes, you know, but in terms of business strategy, straight, he goes, no, we're losing money. The stock is faltering and Sergey is back. What do you think that says? So that's my fire. Man. That's, you know, <laughs> it's also like the, the alarm. It rings in a fire station. Like there's a fire burning somewhere. 
you should be paying attention to this. I don't have any proof. I haven't talked to Sundar, but this is a scuttlebutt. Interesting. Well, and it does tie into what we were talking about, the fake work is, yeah. you know, and I don't know if this is why, but maybe there's some Google is one of the companies that they mention repeatedly in that art in that article. And maybe there is some sense that somebody higher up needs to be held accountable for fostering a culture that allows this kind of reckless mm-hmm. behavior to happen. Yeah. Or it's just that Sergey Brin, Brin wants to come back because, you know. Like, yeah. So when so, you- my phrase, my, my, my phrase for that is because how many hip hop records can you make? Like I always talk about, <laughs> think about Floyd Mayweather. I'm retiring. I'm going to go home and make some hip hop records. And then like a year later, he's back in the ring. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess. How many hip hop records can you make before you go? Damn, I got to get back to work. So. All right. Great. Well, send us some ideas of shows that you'd like to um here, if you have any questions for us, we have our new segment called, like, it's not that new. We have Sub Rosa, which is behind the paywall, which answers questions. So if you have a Sub Rosa, WTF at badbossbrief.com. Also, same thing. If you have any ideas for shows, comments, questions, critiques, uh, WTF at badbossbrief.com. That's it. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Adios. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at badbossbrief.com and be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.